So welcome everybody to this uh, latest episode of our podcast series. I'm Tom Levy and I'm joined here by Julian Cithlerum, our European strategist who just published a topical paper on the ECB's latest moves. Uh, the ECB finally uh, brought the deposit rate back to zero the first rate hike in 11 years. Julian, uh, maybe to kick off uh, the interview, do you think that, uh, well, the negative interest rate period, did it actually bring the benefits that were were expected, that the ECB hoped for? How would you kind of quickly summarize the experience of negative interest rates in the Eurozone? Yeah, hi, Tom. Um, we've, so we've, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, we've seen the ECB now raise rates actually for the first time in 11 years uh, and exiting negative interest rates, bringing the deposit rate from minus 50% to zero last week. Uh, it's an important development and um, you know, our view has been for quite a while actually that negative interest rates are really sort of counterproductive. Uh, they distort the financial system, they create sort of unusual incentives for for borrowers and lenders they have the potential to lead to asset price bubbles they don't really do too much in terms of um, pushing against deflation either and so we'd argued for quite a while actually that ecb uh, and other central banks shouldn't really be engaging in the negative interest rate experiment <laughs> too long and in fact since 2014 interest rates have been negative the deposit rate has been negative in the eurozone uh so we we you know we welcome the the move out of negative rates you know arguably we think it could have happened earlier um but it's also sort of you know inconsistent given where inflation is in the eurozone more than eight percent headline inflation uh more than three percent on the core measure it just seemed inconsistent to have a still a negative interest rate policy um so although the move was a bit of a surprise because at the june monetary policy meeting the ECB had indicated they would only raise rates by 25 basis points. Uh, and in fact, they actually raised by 50 basis points. Um, we, as I say, we welcome this development. We think actually it was good. It's good to get out of negative interest rates. Uh, and, and therefore, uh, we welcome the policy of the ECB. Um, but the challenges that the Eurozone is facing economically are still you know, very substantial at the moment with, with high inflation and, and weakening growth. So very interesting. Um, I, I do you think, I mean, you mentioned it that, uh, well, until quite recently, they were still signaling a, a smaller rate hike and now obviously this, uh, let's say, hawkish surprise. What caused this urgency? Was it kind of inflation surprising to the upside or or was it something else? The, 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 the need for interest rate hikes to be more front-loaded, why, why the surprise? Oh, and, and, and maybe to add to this question, uh, is central bank bank guidance still relevant? I mean, we had a similar issue over um, in the US from the Fed, where guidance obviously was then also uh, not really what it was in the end. So, so why the urgency, and and can we still rely on guidance uh, by central banks, or or not at all? So it's interesting um, that uh, at the meeting last last week, uh, ECB President Christine Lagarde sort of moved away from this forward guidance policy and uh, and indicated that every meeting would be sort of data dependent and uh, sort of a live uh, meeting, whereas previously the ECB 
And as you mentioned, other central banks had been had tried to sort of indicate what their monetary policy would be going forward in the next few meetings. Now they've kept their options uh, more open. So yes, they have sort of abandoned or at least placed less emphasis on forward guidance. It seems that forward guidance was useful when central banks were trying to um, anchor inflation expectations and prevent them from falling. So it was useful as a way of combating deflation because the central banks would say, look, we're committed to making sure we reach our target you know, to the upside uh, uh, and therefore we're going to keep interest rates as low as, as needed and continue with asset purchases. But it seems like forward guidance has been less useful in this more recent environment where inflation has surprised massively to the upside because it's tied central banks' hands for too long and they've been worried about losing their credibility by sort of changing policy uh, with respect to what they had said maybe a few months ago. And I think that's what has delayed the ECB acting until now. Um, and therefore, I think it's also correct that they've sort of reduced the emphasis on on, on forward guidance. Um, and now they've indicated that sort of uh, they will take things meeting by meeting, which I think is a, is a, is a better approach. Um, as you mentioned, um, uh, Lagarde also said last week that they were front loading uh, interest rate increases, which is an interesting expression. Uh, sort of implies they, they, although they went for 50 basis points last week, they might not necessarily continue with that pace uh, meeting after meeting. Um, we think in the September meeting, they will probably do one more 50 basis point rate increase. But then uh, as we get into, get into Q4, as the economic outlook from a growth perspective is deteriorating, we think in the Eurozone, they may then sort of move down to a 25 basis point pace of rate increases. And by 2023, we think it's going to be very difficult for the ECB to be raising rates at all because we think the economic outlook will have deteriorated quite a bit by then. Um, so, um, so yes, they have sort of reduced emphasis on forward guidance. Again, I think that's something we, we welcome um, and uh, it therefore does make the uh, outlook for monetary policy a little bit uh, sort of harder to to forecast. But as we've seen recently, even when they had forward guidance, they eventually had to sort of surprise markets and investors anyway. Indeed, indeed, it's definitely a, a challenging environment for central banks. But obviously the rate hike was only part of the announcement and uh, you also mentioned in the paper and we'll talk about the, the other part of, um, of the announcement, the ECB has presented a new anti-fragmentation tool and, and potentially even unlimited in, in size, the transmission protection instrument. So what um, what can you tell us about that instrument, about this new tool that the ECB announced? So we've got another acronym to go along with the other acronyms of ECB policy, the PEP and the OMT. So we now have the PPI, the Transmission Protection instrument which was uh, announced last week. So um, we, we don't have a tremendous amount of detail but the idea of this instrument is that they would be used uh, basically to buy government bonds in large size, especially periphery uh, government bonds, if there was a sort of unwarranted or undue uh, uh, volatility in, in those uh, bond markets. And uh, the idea is that this sort of uh, this sort of credible threat from the ECB of intervening sort of helps contain any, any spread widening and uh, and hopefully isn't isn't used. And therefore what's important from a credibility perspective is the potential size of this 
instrument. And if the ECB had said, oh, well, it will only be limited to uh, pick a number, 100 or 200 billion euros, for example, that would have, I think, made it more likely that the ECB would have tested, that the markets would have tested uh, the ECB's uh, resolve uh, potentially at some point. So uh, we also welcome the fact that the ECB has said that ex ante the policy or the instrument is uh, uh, is unlimited in size or is not limited uh, by a particular number. This is again something we've argued actually that uh, in a previous paper that as well as uh, exiting negative interest rates, the ECB should also have in place a program uh, such as this TPI that they announced last week to uh, contain uh, spread widening in uh, government bond markets, especially periphery bond markets. Uh, and that it's important that this uh, instrument is sort of credible in size. So again, this is a sort of welcome development, I think, from the ECB. It hasn't yet been tested. Uh, I think the ECB hopes it never actually has to use the instrument. Um, but I think they've sort of, broadly speaking, then they, they've, uh, it, 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 it's something that uh, will be helpful, I think, for containing containing spread widening. Uh, there is, it's, I mean, it's worth mentioning there is some conditionality around this program. Um, in particular, countries have to sort of um, be adhering to excessive deficit procedures and uh, the requirements of the uh, recovery and resilience fund. So there is some uh, conditionality around a program, um, but overall it's, uh, it's something that I think will help to contain uh, the most excessive uh, sort of spread widening that you that could otherwise happen. Yeah, well, you you mentioned that the ECB hopes uh, never to to use or having to use this instrument, but at the same time, we also obviously observe what's going on in Italy. Um, we heard that Mario Draghi has resigned as uh, prime minister. We know that there will be fresh elections relatively soon, which usually adds uncertainty um, and can add some volatility to financial markets. So do you think that could already be a first test for this new instrument? So it's very interesting, the timing, just as the ECB was announcing um, it's the TPI and raising interest rates. Uh, we also had last week the, uh, the collapse of the government led by Mario Draghi, uh, former ECB president. Uh, and the announcement of new elections, which will take place on the 25th of September. So it will be a sort of a very uncertain and volatile summer uh, politically in, in Italy. Um, and uh, and it's unlikely that uh, Mario Draghi will will uh, be prime minister uh, when once a new government is formed. It's likely to be a centre-right government, uh, uh, coalition government of, of uh, centre-right parties. Um, so the... Uh, as we've, we've seen spreads widening quite a bit already, so Italian versus German government bond yields uh, are sort of in the 200 basis point range, currently having got close to 100 basis points towards the end of last year. Uh, and we think this sort of volatility will, will continue. Um, at the same time, it's worth mentioning that um, this sort of the spreads are sort of nowhere near the levels they reached during the Eurozone debt crisis of around six or 700 basis points. For example, uh, and in the sense, this TPI instrument, the whole point really is it's not actually used. It's just there, sort of sitting in the background, and preventing sort of um, uh, a very large widening in in spreads. So uh, we don't anticipate it being used uh, soon or being used specifically to intervene in Italian 
government bond markets over the summer. But Lagarde was sort of uh, was quite was careful not to sort of say that at the press conference. Uh, last week, but the fact that it's simple, the simple fact that it exists and it's there sort of sitting in the background, I think does help contain the potential amount of, of winding and spreads that we might see. And I think the other important point to mention is that uh, whatever government is in place in Italy following the elections, they will also still have a strong incentive to try to keep investor confidence. Um, and also, uh, and in particular, they'll ha- they will have a strong incentive to continue with the sort of reforms and infrastructure investment that are set out in the recovery and resilience uh, fund, uh, because to be eligible to continue receiving uh, loans and grants from that fund, uh, governments uh, need to demonstrate that they are meeting certain milestones in terms of continued reform. So the Italian government will have a sort of double incentive to uh, uh, to maintain investor confidence, first of all, to keep the spreads from widening too far, and secondly, to continue to be eligible for uh, the Recovery and Resilience Fund uh, uh, grants and loans. Um, so yes, I think a volatile summer for for Italian debt markets, uh, but so far we're not, we're not anticipating that it's going to be a repeat of the Eurozone debt crisis, for example. That is definitely good to hear, because uh, as you mentioned, with the still well soaring inflation rates with a potential recession on the rise and uh, there's definitely already enough going on to add volatility in uh, financial markets so it would be good to hear that at least uh, from uh, italian politics that this does not add further volatility and and, and, and more uncertainty into financial markets so let's hope that um, as you predict that the tool won't need to be used in the near term and it's enough that it's there with a potential unlimited size as you mentioned and you also uh, go further into detail in the paper which is available as always on zurich.com slash msme and with that i thank you julian for a very interesting interview and i'm definitely looking forward to read the paper and having you in further interviews in the future thank, thank you, you very much. much thank you